1: get trusty women and ye
2: men in tommy john each day
1: remember it's the perfect gift to give this holiday. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. with over 18 million pairs sold to good boys and girls just like you tommy john is rearing in this softness season with a gift to those who made my nice list you deserve a special gift of tommy john underwear and
2: loungewear one oh, oh,
1: oh, 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 oh. On to all throughout the land tommy john's family
0: This holiday season, make everyone in your family that much more comfortable with the holiday
1: gift of Tommy John underwear and loungewear. For the holidays, get 20% off your first order at TommyJohn.com victory. 20% off at TommyJohn.com victory. See site for details. I uh, want to remind everyone to download, rate, and subscribe to the 415ers podcast. As always, we appreciate any rating, uh, subscription, five stars, are appreciated any comment, review. I uh, would love to know how we can improve the podcast throughout this year and our first season uh, with the 49ers. But Mark, speaking of Mike McDaniel, and I, and I was no by any means trying to insinuate that he also kind of throws shots at other other teams he has not this year although i do re- i do really respect the way he has like he, he just knows how to work a room and and he maybe really even does. better than than kyle shanahan at this oh, point point. 100 built for it
2: he has such a unique i don't know presence and his his sense of humor is it's it's hard to describe if you haven't you know watched a mike mcdaniel press conference i suggest getting on youtube and watching because it is Unlike any other NFL head coach. I mean, there were times last year, you know, coordinators for NFL teams, at least for the 49ers, they talk once a week. Um, And Mike McDaniel, every once, once a week would hop up to the podium for the 49ers. And it would just be kind of this off the beaten path. You have this guy that's what, five foot nine, skinny, didn't play. (laughs) <laughs> didn't play, you know, NFL football, went to Yale. He's known as like, you know, the smart guy, for lack of a better term, that the nerd on the coaching staff. And he just has a, a really unique personality in front of reporters. And I think a lot of people, a lot of Niner fans that were aware of it kind of like made fun of it last year because they didn't really know exactly who Mike McDaniel was. But now that he's a head coach and that he's having success in Miami, everyone has kind of embraced it and you know they love the the quirky mike mcdaniel but it, it certainly comes through um, it comes through every time he he takes the podium and now you're seeing all these like mic'd up moments on the sideline where he's telling Tua Tagovailoa yeah georgia's the much better team than much better than alabama in the sec by far the best team in the sec there was another one that from this past week when when their offense was rolling passing the ball i think they got up to like a 30 point lead over the texans in the first half and he just says, to no one in particular, as he's walking down the sideline, you know what? I think I'm just going to continue to throw the ball on this drive. Tell me if I'm <laughs> crazy. It's just like weird quips, moments like that from Mike McTiernan that make him stand out. Because there aren't many other head coaches that that have those kinds of moments.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Because honestly, my favorite one was a few weeks ago against the Chicago Bears. When he's talking to the other team, like Justin (laughs) Fields is is running up and down on his defense and is, is putting his team in a position to win a football game. And he's looking at Justin Fields who runs at the sideline, going back to the huddle, He says, Hey, stop doing that. Like stop (laughs) killing us right now. So he, he's, he clearly has uh, not, not only the confidence in himself to, to be okay with saying those things, but a comfortability in the heat of battle, as well as outside at the podium where he is okay with talking to the opposing quarterback. He's okay. He's okay. Talking to opposing media and he's okay. Talking to his own team, obviously.
2: Yeah. And there was a moment after that moment uh, in, in that bears game where he, he told Justin Fields pleading with him to like, please stop running all over us. It was a really close Miami win. And I think, you know, the reporters saw that clip floating around Twitter and they asked Mike McDaniel about it post game and uh, I'm sure I'm not getting the quote exactly right, but he said something along the lines of, yeah, I told him to stop because he's killing us. And then he kind of paused for a little bit, maybe chuckled. There were some laughs in the audience. And then he said, yeah, but like, he didn't listen to me. Like he just kept going or, <laughs> or something, something along those lines. But yeah, I agree with you. Mike Petanio. He, he's easy to root for.
1: Yeah, he's, he's easy to root for it. Is, it will be interesting uh, to see how some of these comments and, and approaches to yeah. interaction work if you're not in a winning position. I do think that plays into a, I mean, that's the reason why, honestly, you don't see a lot of head coaches act the way he does. One, because they're not winning. Two, uh, they know how some of these comments get perceived and misconstrued if you then don't continue to win. So we'll certainly keep an eye on that, but Mike McDaniels is a big part of the Dolphins' success. Um, maybe a big part of uh, what, what happens on Sunday, obviously. But Kyle Shanahan also... he. He has his moments Mark. He has his moments when he he sort of, you know, goes back and forth with the media and and we're talking about this before we started recording but you know, I I go back and forth on Shanahan and especially with his comments. Sometimes he, he seems a bit condescending. Sometimes he seems a bit demeaning quite frankly to, to some people. But there's also sometimes when he he is he is enlightening. Like when you get to see the reason why people put him in this pedestal of boy genius or you know smarter than thou like and and it happened a little bit this week when he was breaking down the differences between being a coordinator and being a head coach and and I I'm sorry I don't have the question in front of me but but basically he was sort of saying look as a coordinator you, you get to look at things from a prism. You, you look at things from one side of the football, which is I got to score points and I got to get them fast and I got to get them now where you're not even looking at what what the defense is even doing. And of course, as a head coach, you can't approach the game like that. So now he's, he's maturing and has gone through this over the last five and a half, six years as a head coach to the point where now he's able to reflect back on what he used to do as a coordinator on the offensive side of the ball and what he does now as still the play caller, but as a head coach that has to be responsible for the entirety of the team.
2: I thought it was very interesting. I I agree. Yeah. The question was how much does having an elite defense change the way that you look at offensive play calling? And then he went through the whole thing you laid out, how when you're uh, an offensive coordinator, you're solely focused on your offense and you're not even looking at how your defense is performing. But he said, as as you learn to become a head coach, uh, you know you you have to keep an eye on that. And then he said, you know, for example, I look at sometimes quote like that Chargers game earlier, uh, when you know you have a chance to go, but you also know in the back of your mind, there's no way we're beating us if we get those 40 runs. That's how I feel the way our defense is playing. There comes a time in that New Orleans game last week where you can see your defense, and yeah, we missed a couple there in the red zone where it's like, all right. If they score here, it's 13-7. to seven. I know exactly what we're doing. We're going out. We get points. We have to win this. We can't give the ball back to them because it's a one-possession game. But then the defense holds them again, and you look at the clock, and you think about where your team's at, and you're like, okay, what's the best way to win this game? And in that moment when you're up two scores late in the game with your defense balling out like they are, you do not need to you know, go into that mode where you're like, all right, we got to score here. You just need to kill some clock. And even if you don't waste all of the clock, you're confident that your defense isn't going to give up two scores, uh, you know, to close out the game. So while maybe that's relatively simple and straightforward, I think Evan, it's relatively rare to, to hear Kyle Shanahan kind of give up his, his inner, inner monologue like that. That's clearly what he's thinking every game. And, um, you know, all the time, whether he's a coordinator or a head coach, he's thinking about things like that, but you don't hear him say things like that openly to the media all that often. So I'm not sure it, it signals anything. I don't think it's deeper than that. He would probably was just, you know, feeling particularly in in a good mood when, when he said this, I believe it was on Wednesday. Yeah. Wednesday earlier this week, he was able to kind of break down his mindset And while there will still be Niner fans, I think, who are maybe frustrated that the team only put up 13 points. And, I mean, he openly admitted to it, saying we miss some in the red zone against the Saints that we we need to be better on. But he also said the way the defense is playing, I'm not going to, you know, call plays as if we need to score here because we don't. I'm going to call plays to kill some clock. And the worst case is we don't get a first down. We give the ball back to our defense, and I know our defense isn't going to give up points. Um, and it's something that he didn't do with, at the beginning of his of his head coaching tenure with the 49ers. So I thought it was an interesting kind of look behind the curtain into the mind of Kyle Shanahan and all the decisions that go into every play call and specifically play calls towards the end of games.
1: Yeah, maybe he was channeling some of his inner Mike McDaniel. <laughs> maybe. maybe. Or maybe. Or maybe. That's where Mike McDaniel has actually been able to channel some of his Shanahan, but Kyle's just a little more of a recluse, uh, at least publicly than, than Mike McDaniel. I don't know. Something to
0: keep an eye on. Hey, this is Stephen A. Smith from No Mercy. Festivals, football, flannels. Some say fall is their favorite time of year. And this fall, there are now updated COVID-19 booster shots designed to help protect against COVID-19 variants. If you've had your primary series, schedule an updated COVID-19 booster shot appointment as soon as you're eligible. And don't forget to enjoy the foliage sponsored by Pfizer and BioNTech. Uh,
1: but but also I also wonder too, I, I do think some, and, and I want to know what you think about this. I do think some fans might hear that as, well, if if on offense, if, if you're you know siloed in on on one side of the ball, and your job is to score points and run it up, and and he certainly did that as a coordinator, he wouldn't be a head coach if he didn't. Well, then how come now, as the Forty ers head coach, your your goal still isn't to just put up as many points as possible and and just run up the scoreboard the way that you know we we saw maybe in Atlanta or, or I know he was Cleveland, Houston before Washington, like. How come? How come, Kyle? Would, we're not seeing the the results that that you seem to be promising as an offensive coordinator. But now, as a head coach, sometimes you need to you need to know when to to pull on and off the reins. That's
2: that's the natural follow up. I agree. Um, I think the answer probably lies somewhere in the uh, one, like we already talked about. He in these situations doesn't feel like he has to to win games. And ultimately, it doesn't matter how you win games, just that you win games. So he's not going to take unnecessary risk to, you know, try to score points in a game in which maybe he doesn't need those points. And I think we can all agree, you know, the offense that is trying hard to go out there and score seven points, that is throwing the ball more often, that is taking chances downfield. Again, inherently, that means more risk. And more likely to turn over the ball. So I think that's part of it. The other part which, which goes hand in hand with that is probably uh, trust in your quarterback. And while we've certainly talked a lot this year, specifically in the last month or so, that Jimmy Garoppolo is playing better. And I think we're seeing Kyle Shanahan trust his quarterback more. He he certainly doesn't trust him as much as, say, he trusted MVP Matt Ryan when he was in Atlanta with Julio Jones and all those other weapons but they went to the Super Bowl and and of course choked that 28 to 3 lead but i think uh. it's <laughs> exactly it's a little bit of both there but i do agree with you that the natural follow up is okay like if you need to focus on all aspects of the team you know maybe hire someone else to to be looking after the defense and, and tell you what's going on and, and focus solely on the offense so you can get the offense up to where you want it to be. Um, but it's, it's probably not as simple as that.
1: I'm sure it isn't. And, and nothing, if we're being honest, ever is with Kyle Shanahan. But <laughs> but one of those factors that plays into that is, like you mentioned, the defense. He has, he has an all-world defense at his disposal. I can't fault him for wanting to use it much in the way maybe he wants to use uh you know a pass heavy offense like he did in Atlanta like if that's your strength that's what you lean on and a big part of that has been Nick Bosa who was recently named defensive player of the month for the San Francisco 49ers and and right now mark honestly it like i i know we've talked about how bosa is, is playing you know perhaps his be- his best f- football and and should be continuing uh, along those lines he's got 11 and a half sacks i think wildly uh his his player prop for the year i think was 11 and a half so if he gets another half sack or more he's going to exceed that total uh probably is going to do it on sunday honestly but to me it's like it's him and micah parsons like those are the only two defenders that i think of when the dpoi conversation comes into into the room like Nick Bosa is playing at such a a high level of football and really the fact that he plays on a number one defense. I'm sure some people would argue that he may use the catalyst for that, but then we've also talked about how the 49ers have been so good because of their multi, you know, the, the levels to this of Fred Warner, of guys on the back end of the secondary being quality. Um, that's really the only thing giving me pause or, or kind of like, maybe I got to flip a coin between a Parsons and a Bosa at this point when I'm thinking about Defensive Player of the
2: Year. I think uh, Parsons and Bosa are our top two. I think there's probably one other that needs to be considered. It's Matthew Judon. Uh, for New England, uh, some people been, also
1: like Max Crosby. I know.
2: I, I, I mean, Max Crosby has been incredible, but unfortunately, with the team he's on, he's, he's not going to get any real chance to win that award. It's, it's just the way that those awards go. Uh, New England probably is kind of teetering on the edge of being good enough to be considered for that sort of thing, unless you know that player just has a record-breaking year. Matthew Judon has been incredible, but but you know, not not record-breaking. Um, I think Parsons probably is is the favorite at this point um, but Nick Bosa is right there and I think should be a, a clear number two um, and, and we'll see what the rest of the season you know has in store uh, but I'm, Bosa has been phenomenal and you know there there's no no surprise that you know the the top two pl- uh, players you know in in you know odds to win the NFL defensive player of the year lead probably the top two defenses. I mean, that's a gigantic reason why. But when you have a player like that, like Bosa and Parsons, it, you know, so much of the opposing offense is just focused on limiting those guys that it opens up so much else for the rest of the defense. And that's why you have guys like Charles O'Menehu, who who was also on Twitter talking back to, to Raheem Mostert earlier, who's, who's having career seasons. Uh, you, you have... uh Eric Armstead, who's likely back this week, we'll talk about that in a little bit, who can miss months, and the defense still plays phenomenal, because that's how good Nick Bosa is, and it's similar for Micah Parsons in Dallas, so I agree with you, Nick Bosa, right up there, fantastic that he won November, Defensive Player of the Month, certainly deserving, and uh, we'll see if he has a Defensive Player of the Year in store for us here, he'll need to have a fantastic end of the season, because Micah Parsons is as good as anyone else in the league, but